90% of the world's data was developed in the last two years. Think about that for just a second. That's a lot of data. Now, how much of that data goes unused? I don't know. But if 90% of the world data was created in the last two years, I can't imagine what the next five years means to us. It, it's crazy. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, it's episode 159. Today, we're discussing how career and technical education is impacting smart manufacturing. Our guest this week is Kent Powell, the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Amatrol, the global leader in online courses for career and technical education. Plus, you should know that their training solutions are used in all 50 states and over 50 countries. Now, if you're in the manufacturing industry and you're a listener of this podcast, you're already aware of the workforce shortage, and quite frankly, you may even be sick of hearing about it. But what's special about today's episode is you're going to hear the story of Amatrol, a company whose core mission is to solve this problem one job at a time. We're going to talk specifically about how they're doing that. But first, I have some exciting news to share. This is actually part of a new series that we're doing in partnership with ISN, the Industrial Solutions Network. And this is the first edition of a new mini-series we're calling the Made Here City Series. This is just one of three interviews that we did in partnership with ISN in the Louisville region. And it's not just a podcast episode. You'll hear me say this in the interview. We actually recorded this interview after spending a pretty full morning at Amatrol touring the facility. So think of this thing as not only an episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour, but there's more behind the scenes factory footage that you can find as it gets released over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash ISN. The videos we made will have more of a how it's made vibe to them. So you'll definitely want to check out those videos in addition to this audio interview. So yes, before we begin, I want to give a big thank you to ISN for making this possible. If you don't know the Industrial Solutions Network, definitely get to know them. They are your local manufacturing technology company, and they help provide the best collective information, technology, and services for manufacturers. They're part of Consolidated Electrical Distributors. Many of you probably know that better as CED. So definitely learn about these folks and where they can help you in the U.S. markets that they serve. With all that said, here are three things you can expect from this week's episode. First, we get some background on Kent, Amatrol, and career and technical education, plus some of the key things that folks in a manufacturing environment need to know. And honestly, the answers might surprise you a bit. Second, Kent will share some specific examples of what smart manufacturing really means based on the type of equipment and curriculum he and his team are creating. Finally, and this will be a theme throughout all our interviews in this city series, Kent and I discuss what makes the Louisville manufacturing scene unique and he'll also tell us about a Kentucky-specific program that's creating a pipeline of highly skilled workers in the region. All that and more in today's episode. If you want to learn more, if you want to link up to the City Series or Amatrol, 
As always, go to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 159. And if you like what you're hearing on this show, hey, don't forget to leave us that five-star rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast, whether that's Spotify, iTunes, there's a way to review this on all those platforms. So hit us up with those five-star ratings. And with that, let's get going. We are going to head just north of Louisville to meet up with Kent Powell. Kent, welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I was going to say it's a belated welcome because we've been really doing this for a few hours up until this point, but we're just getting to the the meat of the conversation now, or I should say the bourbon of the conversation, being here outside of Louisville. So in Manufacturing Happy Hour style, if we were having this conversation over a beverage, where would that be? Maybe paint a picture somewhere in downtown Louisville. You know, there are so many to choose from. Uh, I would say one of the favorites of mine, a very historical place, is the Brown Hotel, the lobby bar at the Brown Hotel. Best place to get a rye Manhattan in town. Mm, Anything else beyond just the rye? Because a a hotel lobby bar is, I feel like, a good choice down in the South, actually. It's not, the you know, I think there's some good ones I've been to in Memphis and Nashville. What else characterizes that place? The uh, the other thing that characterizes the Brown is uh, a famous dish that they have made there for years called the Hot Brown. Oh. It's it's famous uh, to Louisville. If you ever come here Derby Week, everybody's selling the Hot Brown. You want the original, I think you got to go to the Brown Hotel. Okay, so we're having Hot Browns and Rye. You at, got it. At the Brown Hotel. So in any story fashion, we want to hear your story first because I do have some questions around Amitrol coming up. But let's, let's get some history on this company, okay. right? How does... Someone that was working in the aerospace industry moved back here and end up creating a company like this. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, Don Perkins started this company, he and his wife, Roberta. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, he wanted to move back to town to be closer to family, a uh, family-driven man, and uh, wanted to get back to town. And there weren't a lot of aerospace jobs here. So he was really super smart guy and had a passion for automation. And back in those days, automation had all to do with electricity and pneumatics and hydraulics. So he went into the custom machine building business, helped a lot of companies around here, bottling companies, uh, aluminum extrusion companies, and uh, wound up not only developing uh, the equipment in the plant, but he also had a passion for giving back to his community. And in doing that, he found himself liking the, the, uh, the role of teaching people. When you combine his knowledge for machine building and teaching people how to make it run, he just really thrived and uh, the, con- the business continued to grow. There's a lot of focus on education here at Amatrol, which we're going to get into that here in a second. But we also want to hear your story because I believe you've been here 18 years. You have a long history in the automation world up until that point. So tell us how you made it here. Well, interestingly enough, I, uh, I left school here in Louisville and uh, got a job working at Allen Bradley Company of all places. And I'll never forget the first meeting with my boss. He told me, this is the best company you're going to work for. It's a privately held company. It'll never be sold. Thanks. By the end of the year, <laughs> yes. Rockwell Automation had bought the Allen Bradley Company. I worked at uh, Rockwell Automation for 17 years and uh, various uh, jobs throughout the country, uh, more responsibility moving around. 
wound up uh, coming back to Louisville for personal reasons. I left Rockwell. I went to work for an old friend of mine and uh, signed a five-year contract. When that contract was over, I wound up back at my very first customer that I ever had at Allen Bradley Company, hmm. and that was Amatrol. What a full circle story. And I'm actually going to take our conversation full circle as well, because we're going to take a figurative journey back to the Brown Hotel, where let's say it is Derby week. It's busy. You only have like 30 seconds to answer this question. But, you know, someone asks, hey, what does what does Amatrol do? Right. I understand you're a global leader in CTE, career and technical education. How do you answer that as if you're at a bar with someone? Well, first, I'd ask you if they know what CTE, career and technical education, is after <laughs> fair, experience. Fair. Uh, and they may not. So I would explain it to them that it's really the backbone of technical education and manufacturing here in the U.S. And if you think of all the things that we've seen in the past 20, 30, 40 years, um, America being the manufacturing headquarters of the world and then diversifying into other countries and offshoring everything. And then lo and behold, things like the pandemic show up and all of a sudden we're reshoring and bringing manufacturing back. If we don't take serious uh, the job that we all have to teach and train people in the skilled trades, then we've lost our mark in the world. And uh, we're here to make sure that we continue as a, as a world leader in manufacturing. And I'm interested to learn how you and your team do this, because we hear a lot about the need for skilled trades, the lack mm -hmm. of available workforce right now. And you have a very, I'd say unique approach because you do a couple things that, that not everyone does, right? There are companies that write curriculum or there are companies that make equipment, right? How do you go from, let's say, you know, what do you need to know when you're talking to a client or what, what do they need to do to creating a curriculum and equipment solution? Because I see that two sides that you do as one of the unique things about you. Two key words in your question to me was, what do you need to know and what do you need to do? So we take a real serious approach to teaching people and we want to teach them what they need to know. We do that with our subject matter experts and technical writers that actually create the content that makes up the curriculum. We start out with understanding what those skills are. What does somebody need to do? And then we take that and teach them what do they need to know that enables them to do that job. We're the only company that I'm aware of that actually combines the need to know, need to do, and pulls it all together in one really world-class training uh, environment. And we try to do our best to deliver that for a variety of technologies across a wide variety of industries and learning environments. What are, in this day and age, we're recording this in late 2023, what are the things that people need to know and people need to do the most? What are you seeing? Oh, wow. Uh, I could answer that question so many different ways, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's interesting in a manufacturing environment, one of the things that I hear uh, when I talk to other people in our situation is they need workers that know how to show up on time. They need to understand safety. That's paramount. Um, <clears throat> they need to know how to do the right thing and how to elevate concerns throughout the network uh, mm -hmm. through the chain of command. So, you know, some of us learn that in the military. Some of us learn it in a school. Some of us learn it at home. And the tricky part is you've got to bring that into the manufacturing environment to be effective. We can teach some of that here. But then the other things that you need to know in a manufacturing environment to be really successful is the basic foundational fundamental 
things that you must know, how to communicate, how to be able to take criticism from somebody, but how do you follow an order and how do you, how do you take somebody that, that has spoken to you and be able to interpret that and then act upon it in a reasonable way? And oftentimes that means following instructions, whether it's written or oral, uh, as well as understanding basic technology, mm -hmm. how to use a tape measure, how to use dial calipers, how to use a piece of electrical test equipment. Uh, those foundational things are so critical to being successful in a manufacturing environment. So what I'm hearing is a lot of the timeless, let's say, technical foundational skills, mm -hmm. as well as the work foundational skills. When someone is taking one of these trainings, do they know that's what they're going to get out of it? Or are they really thinking more, I'm going to learn this technical skill? I'm just curious, is this something that they're expecting? Or does it come as a bit of a surprise that they're getting more let's say, 101 skills of just how to be in the manufacturing world? So it depends on where they are in their learning life cycle. Mm -hmm. um, so if, for instance, if you take a high school student, um, they may have never played on a team at all. Mm -hmm. And we put them in a classroom, a high school classroom, and we go through, basically, it's a career uh, exploration uh, course. Mm -hmm. And that career exploration course also includes project-based learning. Mm -hmm. So we're teaching technology in a project-based environment where groups of students have to come together. They have to interpret the problem, identify the problem, and then come up with a solution to solve that problem. It has to do with math. It has to do with maybe an electrical component, a programmable component. It may have to do with a design component, mm -hmm. but they all have to work as part of a team to bring that together. Mm -hmm. Now, if they've never worked or if they've never, you know, played baseball or field hockey or something like that as part of a team group, this is their team. Mm -hmm. Very much like what you see in a manufacturing environment. I would bet of all the people you've interviewed in the manufacturing space, nobody has worked by themselves alone to accomplish a, a single goal. That's correct. Part yes. of a team. Yeah. So if you take that team concept I, I get back to the reshoring topic I, I mentioned earlier. Um, if you're making silicon chips, you're probably not doing the entire process. You're probably doing part of the process, shipping that product somewhere else where they, uh, you know, assemble and test and all that. Mm -hmm. Very much like we build our products here. We have some wonderful suppliers that not only help us by supplying equipment, but they also help us with our inventory management. They help us with uh, uh, being introduced to new technology. And so, again, it all gets back to teamwork. In a high school yeah. classroom, people are working as part of a team to develop a solution for a problem. In industry, we're also working with our team members, our suppliers like e &H Electric, our mm -hmm. suppliers like Rockwell Automation, uh, and others to help bring a solution to a problem that we have, which is to de develop and deliver world-class training systems. I want to focus on this teamwork work aspect as well, because it gets into, like you're talking about, the people side of the equation. And I think one thing folks listening might be trying to figure out, it's like, okay, who are the people that are taking this training, right? Is it, you know, college, you know, reskilling people that have been in the workforce for a long time? What are the people, and, and I imagine it's multiple markets as well. What are the people that you, who are, who are you, sir? Sure. So primarily it's uh, the education space, mm -hmm. uh, high school people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, career centers, community and technical colleges. And we supply, uh, we actually work with a lot of universities as well. There's a portion of our business uh, that is dedicated to working with, directly with industry clients. 
Mm -hmm. Let's face it, the big problem right now is skilled workforce. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you a little story. So we talked about Don Perkins 40 years yeah. ago when he started the company. Uh, he would make a habit out of asking his industrial clients, so what keeps you up at night? What prevents you from growing and, and improving your productivity? And the answer that they would give him then is the same answer that they would give him today. Mm -hmm. We don't have enough skilled workers. Now, back then, you know, skilled worker needed to understand relay logic, air logic, mechanical apparatus, uh, and, you know, electrical inspection, things like that. Today, they need to understand programmable logic controllers, mm -hmm. PLC programming, robotics, autonomous robotics, cybersecurity, network, you know, communication. There's all kinds of things that need to be done now that they didn't, that wasn't even invented 40 years ago. Yeah. But it's still a technical workforce that's going to help us solve those manufacturing problems, and we don't have enough of them. There's, there's something, there were a lot of interesting things we saw on the shop floor when we were walking around earlier, which is in line with my next question. Like, we looked at training systems for smart sensors, for like utility scale wind equipment. Like, I'm getting into some of the nitty gritty here, but to your point about the, you're training people on different things at different times. How do you decide what you need to be training on someone next? So we we look at it this way. There's uh, we assume that pick a topic, pick mm -hmm. a technology, electrical. Let's just say electrical to we'll start mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. You would assume that you would not start with uh, reversing reversing motor starter or contact. You you wouldn't start a high sure. school student there. You typically would start at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So we're going to teach them basic electrical, AC-DC electrical. What's mm -hmm. a series circuit, a parallel circuit, an input device, output device. Teach them a simple series uh, circuit with different components, and then teach them how to use a digital multimeter to measure the current, the voltage, the resistance of that circuit. So we would typically start at a very basic level and take it up to the end of whatever that course is. But we kind of do it differently. Instead of just throwing uh, theory at them, we would we would start with theory, but then we would integrate the hands-on component. So we'll introduce a concept, teach a concept, then have them apply what they learn. Mm -hmm. Once we get to the end of that course, there may be a couple of different ways they can go. Uh, might be going directly to a motor control course mm -hmm. or to understand three-phase power. It may be going to understand motors and motor protection. It may be going to understand if it's an exploratory uh, type of thing, it may be leaving electrical and starting on basic fluid power mm -hmm. or basic power transmission. So it kind of depends on the on the career path, if you will, or the study path that the student might be on, which would tell us where where we take them next. What we were talking earlier about industries that are demanding talent these days. Mm -hmm. You mentioned EV, you mentioned battery, you mentioned silicon chips. I'm curious, what are you seeing today that you weren't seeing five years ago, whether it's from an industry standpoint, a curriculum standpoint? I'm interested in your take on that. Those three, definitely. Yeah. But the the big topic out there today is smart manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So smart sensors. We didn't know what smart sensors were. The sensors weren't dumb. I don't even know if most of our audience knows what a smart <laughs> sensor is, to be clear, because we do, we, we've talked about this, like smart manufacturing is a, a bit of a nebulous term sometimes. Right. So if you can help 
make it more real for okay. us through this example, that would be tremendously helpful. So back in the olden days, five years ago, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, if we had a sensor on the line that was simply counting, let's say counting boxes coming down a line, mm -hmm. um, or, or is it metal or is it aluminum or is it glass, uh, it would simply give you an on-off signal okay. to account. Uh, what a smart sensor would do for you is maybe be able to do the math between when it saw the front edge of the product and the back edge of the product and then the front edge of the next product. Now it can give you line speed. It can help you calculate throughput. It can help you give you a lot more information. That information then doesn't just go through a wire that says, I'm on, I'm off. It goes through an Ethernet connection that goes back to a smart processor that accumulates all that data and then running that data through some analogous program, some process, we can come up with all kinds of manufacturing information that helps us more precisely adjust the equipment for optimal output. Well, that makes perfect sense to me, right? You're basically talking a more binary output mm -hmm. in the past. And now you're talking about, hey, you've got information like line speed, like throughput, and that data on its own might just be information, it might just be data, but once you use that data to make a decision around your manufacturing process or basically draw a smart conclusion on, hey, this isn't running as well as it should, and this is maybe why it should be running faster and how we can get it to run faster. At least that's what I got from your answer on what can like make smart smart manufacturing smart manufacturing. Sure. Well, if you think about it, there's I, I was on a podcast or read an article the other day this interesting statistic came to me because we're all, we're a data-driven company. Mm -hmm. uh, we make decisions based on the data. 90% uh, of the world's data was developed in the last two years. Think about that for just a second. That's a lot of data. Now, how much of that data goes unused? I don't know. But if 90% of the world data was created in the last two years, I can't imagine what the next five years means to us. I didn't know that stat going to this conversation. It gets crazy. Yeah. So if you think about uh, data-driven AI, <laughs> I, I tell this to high school kids all the time. I ask them if they know what AI is, what well, we're talking about smart manufacturing and data and big data analytics, and they don't really know. And I ask, I ask them, how many of you have, or your parents have used Waze to get to school today or Google Maps? And they all raise their hand. Well, it tells you the best way to go based upon the information that it receives from your cell phone and does some kind of calculation to tell you, don't go that way, there's a crash, go around this way and go mm -hmm. in the back entrance. So all this data is important to modern manufacturing. And by using smart sensors as opposed to what we used to use, on-off switches and sensors, mm -hmm. we're able to collect more information, make better decisions in record speed, and make really a better product in a shorter amount of time. Are you seeing more companies actually do that because I think one of the challenges we run into is you give a very good definition on what smart manufacturing is and a very good example around that. I don't know if enough companies have really put that into action where they have all that data, but they haven't done smart stuff with it yet, if that makes sense. I'm just yeah, interested to see what you see. In so I, I read a, a Conexus report, I think it was 2022. Um, at that point, 23% of companies have con had considered doing anything with smart manufacturing. Mm -hmm. uh, last year, it was up to 43%. The scary number is there's a large number of companies that have not even dived, you know, they haven't not dived into that water yet. So I've got 
a bunch of, we're in Louisville, mm -hmm. a bourbon country. I have a bunch of friends that work at Jim Beam Distillery. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I asked them about, are you using smart automation? Are you using smart instruments? They've got Anderson Hauser instruments. Are you using smart instruments? The answer I get back from the, the engineering community there is it costs way more for us to implement it after the line is running than it does to build it from the beginning. They're putting a new process in. Guess what's going in? It's smart sensors. It's Ethernet communications. It's wireless sensors on their instrumentation process. It's all going smart, but they're not going back and ripping out the old stuff that they do. Mm -hmm. So it, it's kind of a, you kind of have to weigh where do I make the investment? It, it costs you a lot of money to rip out what you have to put in the smart. But what we're starting to see now is a lot of companies are adapting smart technology for new installations and retrofit for old installations. Okay. Now, what that means to our customers, the local community colleges by in general, mm -hmm. is that they need to teach both. Yeah. They really need to be prepared to teach both kinds of technology. We'll be back in a moment, but first, a quick word from our sponsor. Are you looking for some manufacturing entertainment? Then you need to check out 3M's Clash of the Grinders Student Edition Competition, which you can do today by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 3M. This web series pits soon-to-be pros against each other in a showcase of the next generation of skilled trades talent, and it all culminates with the winner receiving a $10,000 scholarship sponsored by Fanuc. Throughout the series, you'll see the competition, manufacturing trends these emerging leaders will face in their careers, and how new innovations will help them work more efficiently and sustainably. 3M is committed to skilled trades education with a goal of creating 5 million STEM and skilled trade learning experiences, and this is part of that mission. Make sure to subscribe to 3M Abrasives on YouTube so that you don't miss a single new episode of Clash of the Grinders Student Edition. Again, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 3M will take you right there. And now, back to today's episode. Yeah, because I was, I was interested to ask, like, what, is, what does this mean for you as a company when it comes to smart manufacturing? Because when I think of Amitrol, I'm like, okay, you're educating the workforce, right? So is it an issue of people not having folks that know how to do this in the field? Why we might not have seen some of that adoption in addition to what you mentioned, kind of that greenfield, brownfield aspect where it's if we're doing it from the ground up, easy. But if we're doing a brownfield, it's a little more challenging. So how much of it is it that side of the equation, greenfield versus brownfield, as opposed to, hey, we just don't have people that are educated yet? Yeah, I'm not sure I know how to answer that question, but I will, I'll answer it this way. If, if you look at those, those three new industries that are popping like crazy right now, uh, silicon chip manufacturing, electric vehicle, and electric battery, a big majority of what we're seeing in electric vehicle manufacturing is the same that we've been seeing in, in vehicle manufacturing for years. You still have torque wrenches, air guns. You, you still have all the stuff that makes the vehicle. Yeah. But now you've got that extra piece that's called the battery technology. Mm -hmm. You've got to be really careful about the heat, the, the cooling system that goes in. And how do you connect the electrodes and how do you do all those things? Um, so you might have to train your current workforce for those new skills. But if you're building a new plant from the ground up, you got to teach everybody everything. Mm -hmm. Here's the interesting thing that I've learned about 
uh, our clients, uh, schools, teaching that group of people, whether it's a new student or whether it's an incumbent worker. And that is, if you already know manufacturing skills and you're going to go work at a battery plant, you still have to learn battery technology. Mm -hmm. If you are working in manufacturing for 20 years and going to work at the chip plant, now you need to understand precision manufacturing, motion control, clean room, vacuum. You have to learn all these other things. So it's not either or, it's fundamental plus the new stuff. I love it because, by the way, it's totally fair game to answer a question on manufacturing happy hour with a totally other related <laughs> insight. So that was that was very that was I, I'm I'm impressed with that answer. But no, very very helpful understanding that hey, as you are going between these different, as you were talking about the in demand verticals, there are going to be different skills that you need going from the different areas. So I I, I want to touch on one more thing around smart manufacturing before we get into a little bit about the local region and. One of the things we saw out there on your floor was smart HVAC. You had a piece of uh, training equipment for that as well. So we sometimes lose the force through the trees when we talk about smart manufacturing, where we're talking about this big thing where it's like, we're going to take all this data across the facility and transform our enterprise when there are really other things we should be talking about that we don't always hear about as well. So using smart HVAC as an example. So if you think about, uh, you know, we've been, HVAC has been around for a very long time, but it, it's, it's now crossed over into the smart manufacturing area as well. Uh, on any new system that's being put in in any manufacturing facility, there are smart sensors, uh, there are um, electronic uh, motors running the damper systems. And in order to get airflow in the right part of the plant, there's all kinds of sensors that are telling you to do that. There's also different zone controls that are all communicating via wireless technology back to a hub that's sending that information on to maybe a monitoring center that could be miles away. Mm -hmm. So if we did all that with carbon wire, or, or I'm sorry, copper wire, it would be miles and miles of wire. But if we can do it over an Ethernet internet uh, scenario connection, it really opens up the ability for, uh, for you to monitor your system and make changes on the fly. You can also build those algorithms into your controller. It's a smart controller. So it knows that if you start to exceed a temperature set point, it will then react and help you stay within your temperature, uh, you know, your temperature uh, setting points that you want. Would you say part of smart manufacturing is taking the information, the data, the variables that you have visibility to? and using those to make automatic changes Absolutely. to what's taking place? Absolutely. It's all driven by algorithms. Absolutely. I love this. Let's, oh, you, you've given a very good way of breaking down smart manufacturing, especially when most people talk about it in a very in the clouds type of way. Moving on from smart manufacturing, though, I want to bring it back here to uh, Louisville and the Louisville region. So in your own words, what does manufacturing mean to this area? Oh, wow. Uh it's, it's our future. It's our path forward. Um, if you look at just everything that's going on around here, it's a great place to start a business, to start a manufacturing company. Uh, years ago, uh, this used to be the logistics uh, heartbeat of the world right here. And, it, and it's still, for the most part, very much is. Uh, the World Hub is here for UPS. There are literally hundreds of companies that do everything from build panels to, to uh design and build conveyor systems and sortation systems focused right here in the greater Louisville area. 
automotive business. We've got uh, multiple automotive companies right here in town, two Ford plants in Louisville, a new battery plant going up in E-Town, and uh, other plants in the greater Indiana, uh, Louisville area as well. Then you look at the distillery operation. I mean, bourbon is king around here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I can't buy my favorite bourbon in town because they ship it all over the place. Sure. And I can't get it here. But the distilling, uh, distilling market is going crazy. Just what's going on with the manufacturing space and building automation and all that. This is a great place to, uh, to really have that kind of a manufacturing business. The other thing that really, I think, helps is the fact that we have an incredible education system around here. You've got the University of Louisville. Uh, you've got the Ivy Tech college system on the Indiana side of the river, mm -hmm. the Kentucky uh, KCTCS on the Kentucky side of the river. Both are just doing a wonderful job training young people for futures in manufacturing. And I'm curious, I'd love to get a more specific answer for you. Not, not that answer was very specific, but I wanted to ask about a specific group within Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I believe you've talked about the Kentucky Federation for Advanced Manufacturing before. Tell us a little bit, bit about that organization. Kentucky Fame. Kentucky Fame. Kentucky Fame. Okay. So uh, Fame was actually started here in Georgetown, Kentucky at the Toyota plant. Mm -hmm. And uh, they used to have it up on this mezzanine. They had a bunch of amateur equipment up there and they, were, they, would, they would bring young people into work at Toyota three days a week. And then two days a week, they'd go to the mezzanine and they would train on equipment to learn the manufacturing skills to make them productive on the line. It turned into such a great idea that it actually it grew legs, for lack of a better term. Uh, that program kind of left Toyota, was picked up by the Manufacturing Institute out of, out of D.C., and now you find fame programs scattered out throughout the world, well, throughout the U.S. Okay. Kentucky has 12 different sites set up, but here in Louisville is a fabulous lab over at Jefferson Community and Technical College on First Street. They have millions of dollars worth of training equipment. They run the Kentucky Fame Program. They service companies like Bosch, Toyota, uh, Cardinal Conduit. Ford Motor Company and others. There's, I, I forget all the companies that they are related to, but it's a great work and learn program. So imagine this, mm -hmm. you're a high school student, you've earned some credentials, but you, and you've earned a high school degree. You think you might want to go into manufacturing and you get recruited by one of these companies to go through the FAME program. They pay you to work. They pay you to go to school. You wind up with a two-year degree. You wind up with a job and two years under your belt. Yeah. And you have no debt. How, how do you how do you get recruited by this? I, I feel like that would be a question if I'm a high school student that heard this. I'd be like, well, how do I get this good deal? I'm pretty sure there's a couple of avenues. One of those avenues is probably to join the uh, Skills USA mm -hmm. uh, affiliate uh, at the local school. But the schools are all they're always doing projects. Part of the part of the Fame program is to reach out to local high school mm -hmm. uh, CTE programs and invite the students to come in and interview. It's, you know, it's one of those things where you're, you're actually interviewed and must be accepted by the organization and, and they will, it's kind of like the NFL signing deal or the college yeah. basketball signing day. Yep. Uh, so it's a big deal. And when people graduate, uh, it's, it's, it's a great thing. Some of those students actually not only get that they're kept on by the company that they work with, mm -hmm. but then they also, that company oftentimes will send them to the University of Louisville or Purdue or somewhere else for uh, to continue their 
their education career for a four-year engineering degree. What I like about Kentucky fame is it it feeds into another question I want to ask is how is what you're doing here at Amatrol impacting manufacturing beyond this region? We just talked about how that program came out of a local Toyota plant here and then spread. So what are the things that you're doing here that are impacting the broader manufacturing community in the U.S. and honestly worldwide? Well, I think one of those things is act, is shedding some light on the fact that the manufacturing skills that are needed today, uh, that are needed yesterday, are still needed today. And we have a very economical way of delivering those through our partners in education. Um, you know, the bar is never too high. Yeah. If you can figure out how to get a step up, and we can help you with that, uh, just some very basic skills to get you on your way, there are manufacturing jobs that will, will pay dividends for many years. You know, part of what we run into with our manufacturing friends in recruiting people is they don't know what people know and they don't know what people can do when they show <laughs> up on their doorstep to give them a job application. The way that we help manufacturing here locally and quite frankly worldwide is we have uh, a unique ability to help them assess for knowledge and assess for skill, competency, so that they can figure out if that's somebody they want to hire or not. There's another way to do that, and that is if, I mean, there are, there are multiple um, industry-validated certifications that people can earn while they're in their post-secondary education mm -hmm. that are, for lack of a better term, their, their ticket to an interview at a manufacturing company. If they pass a certification exam and they have a credential, they oftentimes get an interview. When you so you talk about assessing for knowledge, assessing for skills, that's what you do to help these groups. And we we've talked about this in in different forms throughout the conversation. But I want to make it clear as we get towards the end of this conversation, how do you work with like tech colleges? Right, You're, we're hearing about Amatrol, we're hearing about the certifications. Mm -hmm. We also know tech colleges have their certification program. So just to make that really clear for the audience before it wraps up. Sure. So when we work with a technical college, let's say. Um, we provide consulting services. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they have a very good vision of where they want to go. But what we really try to do, we, we don't want to tell them how to do what we think they need to do. We want to help them achieve what they want to achieve. So, for instance, Ivy Tech here in Indiana, uh, which, where we're located, they came to us and asked us to work with them and help them figure out how to put together a smart manufacturing uh, digital uh, integration degree. It's a, it's a two-year degree. And it's all built around certifications from the Smart Automation Certification Alliance. Mm -hmm. We help them align those certifications, those credentials, with training equipment and online training material that would help them deliver to the students what would be required to earn that degree. We do the same thing throughout the world. We have uh, uh, schools come to us all the time that may have a specific industry coming to, uh, to, to their town. So they, they look to us to consult with them on what types of skills do they need to train for, how best to provide students the right learning environment with online curriculum and training equipment and possibly industry-approved uh, certifications to help those students be successful. There are a couple ways I feel like we've described what Amatrol does today. And I want to focus on a couple of them that I feel like are very much people-centric, human-centric, right? You were just talking about consulting on certifications, 
talking to the colleges about the skills they need. And uh, actually, it was Justin who's watching us right now from Industrial Solutions Network that brought up um, that you, in many ways, essentially de-stress people during the hiring process, right? The people that are doing the hiring, because people know through the type of programs that are offered, the type of person, the type of skill they are getting. Would you say that is in like, in like a human-centric way what you do, or do you have another way to describe that? Wow. Uh, I don't know that I would have described what we do that way, but I think it <laughs> sticks. I think it works. Uh, you know, if you just look at our mission statement, it's really simple. It's a, it's a really simple one. And uh, it, it's it's all about, you know, transitioning the workforce one life at a time. Yeah. There's not a word stress in there at all. Mm-hmm. So what we do is if we can deliver uh, the technical training in a very meaningful, self-directed, competency-based way, there should be no stress when they go to interview for a job or even have to do a uh, mm-hmm. maybe an assessment to see if they know the stuff. If we've done our job right, they'll have no problem passing the online quiz or the hands-on test. So our, our job, I guess that's that's really a good explanation. Our job really is to de-stress that entire process. And if we can do that by creating a learning environment delivered by our partners at the schools that is self-directed and competency-based, competency-based, I think that's a beautiful way to do it. And I've heard you talk about transforming the workforce one life at a time. So my last question then is, how have you seen that play out? How have you seen the work you do transform someone's life? Feel free to be specific, et cetera, balls in your court. Wow. I, you know, I've seen this uh, in a lot of different areas. Uh, you know, I, I tell the story about the single mother with three kids that uh, lost her job and she was, she's trying to figure out how do I how do I put myself back in in the in the workforce by attending the college that is using the Amatrol curriculum and hands-on equipment? Uh, she's able to work a part-time job and able to come to school in the evenings and really learn at her own pace and earn the degree that she wants to get her a full-time paying job that will far exceed the expectations of her family. Those stories are abound. In every city, every state that I go to, I talk to those people that are, or have that experience. How many people do you think Amatrol has impacted? Oh, geez. I, you know, that I don't know. I would love to say millions. Yeah. I was going to say, it's got to be up there in those seven figures. It's it's a big number. It's Think about it. We've been doing this for more than 40 years. And uh, there's we're in oh, thousands and thousands of colleges all over mm-hmm. the world. It's probably hard to track at this point, honestly. It is. It is hard to track. Um, but we've been very successful simply because of the success of our clients. We're nothing without the success of our clients and the and the people that are kind of lean on us and, and use us to get what they need done. And uh, if they're successful, then we're successful. Well, I appreciate you taking us through such a straightforward journey on training, certifications, smart manufacturing, all the above. I think our eyes are getting pretty empty at this point, so we're going to need a refill, which is... <laughs> I'd say the perfect time to wrap our conversation. Thanks so much for jumping on the show today, Kent. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, thank you for listening. As always, if you want to learn more, make sure to go to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 159. There you can check out Amitrol, connect with Kent, 
Plus, we have links to the brand new city series, Kentucky Fame and the Brown Hotel, where we actually did go for old fashions later. You know, one one takeaway I want to share before we wrap this episode up is around smart manufacturing. I'm going to do this in future episodes, but I'm going to emphasize Kent's example of what smart manufacturing is again. You know, he talked about how a smart sensor can give you line speed because it can measure, hey, this is the start of the box. This is the end of the box. And it can therefore tell you other things like throughput. That information then goes through an Ethernet connection to a processor where it gets contextualized with data. And then as Kent said, you can use that to more precisely adjust the equipment for optimal output. So there are a lot of definitions and examples of smart manufacturing out there. I'm going to do my best to summarize those on this show because that's in the true spirit of Manufacturing Happy Hour where we are trying to demystify and talk about some of these complex topics the same way we would as if we were having a beverage with one another. Before we wrap up this week, I want to thank the Industrial Solutions Network for making this episode and this series possible. If you want to see the videos, if you want to check out ISN, go to manufacturinghappyhour.com ISN. That'll take you straight there. And I also want to thank 3M, our sponsor this week. Their YouTube series, Clash of the Grinders Student Edition, is out now. Think of it as a manufacturing reality show, a competition amongst the next generation of skilled tradespeople. Those episodes are currently coming out. Make sure you're subscribed to the 3M Abrasives YouTube channel for that. Again, that's manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 3M. With that, if you enjoyed this episode, if you love Manufacturing Happy Hour, let us know by leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to this show. And thank you so much for sticking around. As always, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next week. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.